0: From Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. In the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police, a worldwide anti racist movement is toppling symbols of white supremacy and inspiring a flurry of new laws designed to protect citizens
1: from police abuse. This is Congress's most comprehensive effort in decades to substantially address police misconduct by taking on issues, critical issues, affecting black and brown communities.
0: But are these new measures banning chokeholds or stripping power from police unions enough for a movement demanding structural change? We speak to historian Gerald Horn. This is
2: a rare moment, and the fact that it's being in some sense by what's happening internationally gives me hope and optimism that it will continue
0: all that and much more coming up Welcome to On the Ground, ground OnTheGroundShow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. The mass protest movement that has grown in the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd by Minneapolis police has scored many victories already. Most notably, a majority of the Minneapolis City Council pledged this week to disband that city's police department and start over with a new vision for public safety. Symbols of white supremacy were toppled across the United States and world, including this week, monuments for Confederate generals, slaveholders, and genocidaires such as Christopher Columbus and King Leopold II of Belgium, who was responsible for killing up to 15 million people in the Congo beginning in the late 19th century. A partial list of accomplishments of the movement circulating online notes that in the past two weeks alone, these changes have occurred. Minneapolis bans use of chokeholds, Former police officer Derek Chauvin, who pressed his knee and body weight onto the neck of George Floyd for nearly nine minutes, was originally charged with third-degree murder. He is now being charged with second-degree murder. The other three officers who stood on the scene were charged with aiding and abetting second-degree murder. The case of Breonna Taylor, who was shot to death by Louisville police, was reopened. Louisville, Kentucky's mayor, ordered an outside review of the entire city police department. Dallas adopted a duty-to-intervene rule that requires officers to stop other cops who are engaging in inappropriate use of force. New Jersey's Attorney General said that the state will update its use-of-force guidelines for the first time in two decades. In Maryland, a bipartisan group of state lawmakers announced a police reform work group. A seminar scheduled in December for Kansas City police that trains cops to kill without hesitation was canceled. Los Angeles City Council introduced a motion to reduce LAPD's $1.8 billion operating budget. The Transit Authority in Boston agreed to stop using public buses to transport police officers to protests. Police brutality captured on camera led to near-immediate suspensions and firings of officers in several cities, including Buffalo, New York, and Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Monuments celebrating Confederates were removed in cities in Alabama Virginia and other states and of course here in DC on 16th Street in front of the White House a mural was painted proclaiming Black Lives Matter and the street was renamed Black Lives Matter Plaza now since the list was published the DC Council passed sweeping police reform laws protesters have set up an autonomous zone in Seattle NASCAR is banning the confederate flag at events And HBO Max removed that slaveocracy tribute, Gone with the Wind, from its lineup. One day after burying his big brother in Houston on Tuesday, Philanise Floyd testified before Congress at a hearing for the Justice and Policing Act of 2020.
3: I'm here to ask you to make it stop. Stop the pain. Stop us from being tired. George called for help, and he was ignored. Please listen to the call I'm making to you now to the cause of our family and the cause ringing out the streets across the world. People of all backgrounds, genders and races have come together to demand change. Honor them, honor George and make the necessary changes that make law enforcement the solution and not the problem. Hold them accountable when they do something wrong Teach them what it means to treat people with empathy and respect. Teach them what necessary force is. Teach them that deadly force should be used rarely and only when life is at risk. George wasn't hurting anyone that day. He didn't deserve to die over $20. I'm asking you, is that what a, is that what a black man is worth? $20? This is 2020. 2020.
0: Locally in Washington, the D.C. Council passed major emergency legislation on Tuesday, June 9th, prohibiting the hiring of officers with a history of abuse and brutality, requiring swift release of the names and body camera footage of officers who use force on civilians and taking control of the disciplinary process away from the police union. The law also includes a ban on the use of chemical irritants or rubber bullets on peaceful protesters, and the law passed with a veto-proof majority. Chantel James has more.
4: Protests that have bloomed across the country and across the world for more than two weeks have highlighted local demands for police accountability. Here in D.C., emergency legislation to address policing in the district was passed on Tuesday. Now D.C. residents, including members of several social justice organizations, are gearing up for the rescheduled police budget oversight hearing to be held on June 15th at noon. The council will hear testimony from the public that will inform its decisions on the police budget and the allocation of funding to policing in D.C. is crucial to re safety in the district. With this in mind, Justice for Muslims Collective and Stop Police Terror Project D.C. held a Defund D.C. workshop on crafting testimony for the hearing this Wednesday, providing examples of the kinds of police abuses that need to be curbed in DC, and encouraging participants to draw from their own experience. Natasha Knapper of Stop Police Terror Project DC puts the proposed budget in the context of the current global pandemic and past and ongoing harms of policing in DC. The proposed budget is over $5 million for a new jail, and $18.5 million to increase MPD in the midst of a global pandemic, and the and $700 million city budget deficit. Like, it's just, it's wild that we're even considering increasing, like, the MPD budget in the midst of all of this. And in the context of everything that has happened through the death of Brianna Taylor, Tony McDade, and George Floyd, in addition to the lack of accountability we have seen in D.C. from MPD around the killings of Marquise Alston, Daquan Young, and Jeff Price, the officers of which we still don't know the identity of, like, and this was back in 2018, to prioritize increasing that budget is just immoral and just unacceptable. You can submit testimony up until June 16th to judiciary at dccouncil.us or to 202-350-1362. From Northeast D.C., this is Chantal James.
0: Thank you, Chantal. Now, in news related to the COVID-19 pandemic, Washington, D.C. officially opened its economy this week. With social distancing guidelines, limits in place for restaurants and social gatherings, the United States surpassed 2 million coronavirus cases on Thursday, June 11th, with more than any other country. And the 112,000 people who have died of coronavirus in the U.S. comprise more than a quarter of all deaths in the world. Even though all states in the U.S. are either fully or partially reopened, there is a rise in new coronavirus cases in 21 states. Also this week, it was reported that 1.5 million more people made unemployment claims during the week ending June 6th, but that figure does not include three-quarters of a million people who applied for pandemic unemployment aid who were not able to apply for traditional unemployment assistance. All during this COVID-19 crisis, on-the-ground contributor Lydia Curtis has reported on mutual aid programs in D.C., the cancel the rents campaign, and protests on May Day, International Workers' Day. She is also a member of WIN, which recently held a kickoff campaign to secure more low income housing in DC, the most rapidly gentrifying city in the U.S.
5: On June 5th, a group of activists from varied congregations and denominations across the District of Columbia gathered in front of the historic Metropolitan AME Church to amplify the pain and the needs of the poor and demand that the city provide land and resources to house its vulnerable citizens. The Washington Interfaith Network, WIN, a coalition of more than 60 faith-based organizations called for the development of attractive land near RFK Stadium called Reservation 13 for housing very low income residents. Amidst the cheers and amens of the crowd, the pastor of Metropolitan AME and strategy team member, the Reverend William Lamar, laid out the demands
6: at this moment
3: we declare our intent to join with our neighbors across the city to reimagine the district of columbia around equity and around justice equity and justice for black people equity and justice for brown people equity and justice for our immigrant brothers and sisters equity and justice for the earth the land that is us
6: and the land that sustains us. And so that is, we will be organizing
5: voters. Wynn is gearing up for a 1,000 member action on July 2nd to get more money for housing, immigrant justice, and public safety in the upcoming city budget and to produce massive turnout at the polls in November. For more information, go to www.windc hyphen I-A-F, as in Frank, dot org. This is Lydia Curtis for On The Ground.
0: And finally, in Culture and Media, friend of the show Richard Prince writes in his Journalism's column, About the resignation of the top editor at the Philadelphia Inquirer, Stan Wisnowski, after the newspaper staff erupted over the headline, Buildings Matter Too, placed over a column about the impact of civil unrest following the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Prince writes that Wisnowski joined two other top editors in signing an apology to readers and staff, characterizing the headline as deeply offensive and apologizing for it. The column had explored the destruction of buildings amid the looting that accompanied some of the nationwide protests over police violence. This week's look at history offers some reflection on how the word violence is used to describe what is happening to humans and the planet.
7: On June 12, 1898, the Philippines declared their independence from Spain after 333 years of colonial exploitation. Within months, the United States went to war with Spain and the decades-long independent struggle, referred to as the Philippine Revolution, faced a new foe when the U.S. invaded in 1898. America's decision to occupy the archipelago after defeating Spain led to the Philippine-American War and the slaughter of some one-quarter million Filipinos fighting for independence and against recolonization under American dominion. On June 12, 1963, in Jackson, Mississippi, civil rights leader Medgar Evers was murdered by rifle fire outside his own home. Widespread outrage impelled President Kennedy to propose a civil rights law that would eventually pass during the succeeding Johnson administration. Evers is buried at Arlington National Cemetery. His killer, Brian de la Beckwith of the White Citizens Council of Jackson, escaped conviction with the help of two all-white juries in the 60s, but was finally convicted of the murder in 1994 in a new state trial based on new evidence. And finally, way back on June 14, 1922, Warren Harding became the first American president to send a message over the radio when his dedication of the Francis Scott Key Memorial in Baltimore was broadcast live to the nation. This would mark a radical shift in how presidents address the American public. This is Thomas O'Rourke for On the Ground Radio.
0: Thank you, Thomas. And finally, the movement against the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery, and so many others is continuing to demand far reaching reforms and continuing to spark protests here in DC. On Monday, June 15th at 6.28 p.m., protesters will gather at Lafayette Park exactly two weeks to the minute after Trump ordered a violent military assault on peaceful protesters on June 1st. This rally is sponsored by the Party for Socialism and Liberation to stop the war on free speech and dissent. And those are our headlines and happenings. Stay with us.
6: Mastered economics, cause you took yourself from squalor. Slave. Right. Mastered academics, cause your grace said you were Slave. Right. Mastered Instagram, cause you can instigate a follower. Hey. Look, yeah. Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Get it. Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Get it. Look at
3: all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Get it? Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Get it. Spending time, I'm on mine. I be minding mine every time. On my grind, I'm just trying to shine. Make a dollar, government, they want a dozen. Dime. The petty kind might kill you because they see you shine. i done had to have a talk with myself any time. am I a hypocrite because I know I did in fine. I get no too many
6: times. I might. No justice. No locked down in the mental bound to a system that gives justice for some and not justice for all. Millions of people across this nation have given up on a system that gives, like I said, justice for some and not justice for all, have given up on a system that does not meet the demands of the people. Millions of people across this nation have given up on a system that, put, that places power over people, that places greed over needs. You see, millions of people have given up on a system that fails the needs of the African American community dating all the way back to 1619. We were drunk over here by force and not by choice. You gotta you gotta they, have, they have failed to meet the needs of black bodies. They have failed to meet the needs of black bodies in healthcare. They have failed the to, to meet the needs of black bodies in education. They have failed the, to meet the needs of black bodies when, when it comes to acquiring wealth in this country. But we are here demanding action. You see, we're not here to ask for justice. We're not here to negotiate justice. But we are here to demand justice. In a country. That you can silence the moment, but you cannot silence the movement. You see, you can, you can silence the revolutionary. You can kill you can the revolutionary. You can jail the revolutionary. You can lock in the revolutionary. But I come to tell you, you cannot jail the revolution. You cannot lock in the revolution. And we've come by to serve notice that we are saying enough is enough. And we are demanding, demanding justice for the countless black, black bodies that were dead in these streets. And we come to, to serve one more notice to the occupied White House. How can you make America great again if you don't make her great in the first place? It was slaves who crossed. The ocean by force. Who made America great? It was black and brown bodies who made America great. How can you call to make America great when you put when you put people in enslavement? How can you put say that America was great when you put Japanese in internment camps? How can you say to make America great and you force Native Americans out of their own land? But we're coming to tell you that it was our people who made America great. And we will be included. We don't want the half a cup. We don't want the quarter of the cup. But we want the full cup. And when you don't give us no justice, guess what? It won't be no damn peace. This is what democracy looks like. Show me what democracy looks like. This is what democracy looks like. Show me what democracy looks like. This is what democracy looks like. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. And so we see the importance of not only being here of the White House but we see a special need to be at the steps of the mayor to tell her that it's nice to have a sign. It's nice to have it written on the street, but we would like to see it in action. No justice. No peace. No justice. No peace. No justice. No peace. No, no, peace. no justice. No peace.
5: I of the this is what democracy looks like! This is what democracy looks
6: like! This is what democracy looks like! This is what democracy looks like! This is what democracy looks
7: like! This is what democracy looks like! are black.
8: I'm inspired by the strength of the people. From the streets to the steeple, we all equal inspiración. Lo que me inspira es el poder de la gente, lo que es en su mente para la revolución. Ay. I'm inspired by the strength of the people. From the streets to the steeple, we all equal inspiración. Lo que me inspira es el poder de la gente, lo que es en su mente para liberación. Ey, yo, ay, yo. My heroes are young lords adored and ready to go to war. In a society with racial anxiety singing the blues, the various hues, and colors on the streets. People were killing each other, so they on the coalition of brothers and sisters on a revolutionary mission. Now listen, they weren't open with no crooked ass politicians. They made their own decisions based solely on their proposition. They had a 13-point program and platform. They knew that organizing was an art form that they could transform. From college students and in dorms into a militant organization with uniforms and the newspapers red. Need but I the front day. Liberty of death till they last. Breath fighting for those that have less. Although we mass stress, we still blessed. Still stay blessed. I'm inspired by the strength of the people, from the streets to the steeple, we all equal inspiración. Lo que me inspira es el poder de la gente, lo que usa en su mente para revolución. Hey. I'm inspired by the strength of the people, from the streets to the steeple, we all equal inspiración. Lo que me inspira es el poder de la gente, lo que usa en su mente para liberación. Hey yo, hey yo. estaba en un lado con la luz apagado, desde Nerma o así su palabra están tan enterrado. que la sangre de los incas, aztecas y mayas lo lleva mucho allá, como Malcolm X together, equals liberty over the weather before it started forever. Somos soldados, lo llaman no malo, pero solo queremos que los niños crezcan y entiende su leche, no se acaguecen. Ahora es el tiempo, yo no te miento cuando enfrentamos problemas muy graves, los convertimos a animales. Oye, amigos, ustedes no quieren problemas conmigo. Uno solo hace lo que le da la gana y quien gana cuando un parte de gana no tiene nada. Repítalo, uno solo hace lo que le da la gana y quien gana cuando la migra, se lleva mi hermana. Uh. I'm inspired by the strength of the people. From the streets to the steeple. we all equal inspiration. Lo que me inspira es el poder de la gente, lo que es en su mente para revolución. I'm inspired by the strength of the people. From the streets to the steeple. we all equal inspiracion. Lo que me inspira es el poder de la gente, lo que es en su mente para liberación. is on the ground,
0: This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org. Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. Well, the mass protest movement that has grown in the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd by Minneapolis police has scored many victories already. Most notably, a majority of the Minneapolis City Council pledged this week to disband that city's police department and start over with a new vision for public safety. During the same week that Floyd was buried in his hometown of Houston, symbols of white supremacy were toppled across the United States and world, including this week monuments for Confederate generals, slaveholders, and genocidaires such as Christopher Columbus and King Leopold II of Belgium, who was responsible for killing up to 15 million people in the Congo starting in the late 19th century. Lawmakers across the U.S., including local and national representatives here in D.C., are making various police reforms, but by and large, steering clear of calls by the movement for defunding the police, a phrase that is very clear in its intention to immediately divert more funding from bloated police budgets to human needs such as housing, jobs, education, social work, and mental health. Here to discuss defunding the police and other aspects of this budding movement is On the Ground's geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn author of more than three dozen books, including the just released, The Dawning of the Apocalypse, The Roots of Slavery, White Supremacy, Settler Colonialism, and Capitalism in the Long 16th Century. He joins us from Houston, Texas. Welcome back to the show, Gerald. Thank you. Well, it's been quite a two weeks. But this week, it seems that this extraordinary moment is moving into a second act, you know, firming up as an anti-policing and anti-racist movement. And as an historian, you know, who takes a long view of these same issues of race on a global scale, I'm wondering what your thoughts are about this week and specifically the call to defund the police. I know that according to the ACLU, 14 million students are in schools with police, but no counselor, nurse, psychologist or social worker. And until I started working on this show, I did not realize that D.C. has more police per capita than any other city. And that's not even including all the other dozens of police agencies, local and federal that have cops here in the district.
2: Well, Washington, D.C., may be the most heavily surveilled city on planet Earth, not only because of the Metropolitan Police Department, but all of these other police departments. You have the Park Police, you have the Capitol Hill Police, then you have the Drug Enforcement Administration, then you have the FBI, then you have the CIA. And uh, I think that people who are planning strategy for Washington should always keep that in mind. Now, with regard to the funding the police, and in Washington, I take it that that refers mostly to the Metropolitan Police Department. This is in the context of not only taking money away from the police department and diverting it to social services, but there is also a very important discussion that has erupted about abolishing police departments altogether. But for the sake of time, I'll just focus on the former. That is to say, diverting funds. And interestingly enough, if you look and do a time and motion study of what police officers are doing, oftentimes they're writing accident reports after an auto accident or they're responding to noise complaints. That is to say one neighbor complains about another or they're responding to what might be called mentally challenged people and folks call the police because that's the only option they think they have. And certainly, there is a point to be made that you really don't need a man or woman with a gun to respond to what I've just outlined. In fact, you could argue that it's wholly and entirely inappropriate to send a man or woman with a gun into such a situation. You might have seen the recent most disturbing pictures, these coming out of Oklahoma, where the police have handcuffed and manhandled black youth who they detained for jaywalking. Now, given this country's legacy and history and reality of white supremacy and anti-black racism, you should not have police officers with guns dealing with these mundane situations. Would not it be more effective and more cost-effective, for example, to have a so-called meter maid deal with jaywalking? or perhaps to ignore jakewalking altogether. But the situation gets even more complicated because, as we also know, these police departments in major cities have been heavily militarized. I'm sure you know about the Pentagon program that sends so-called surplus materiel, everything from armored personnel carriers to grenade launchers to these urban police departments. And then they're confronting civilians on the street as if they're confronting combatants in Baghdad, for example, but perhaps even more troublesome is the fact that because of these damage lawsuits against police departments, certain cities are now borrowed to pay multi-million dollar damage complaints that have been litigated by folks who have been hurt by the police or even killed by the police, that is, say, their families bringing lawsuits obviously all this is doing is raising taxes for the rest of us. But above all, I think we need to realize that the police and the police departments are not a thing in themselves. They basically represent a dominant culture and a dominant ethos. And so it is well that the folks in the streets recognize that it's not only the police that is the target, it's the dominant ethos of the society that is the target. And above all, we recognize that our friends and comrades in the streets are the cutting edge of a militant pushback against a gathering fascism, which I'm happy to say that on the ground had the prescience of mine to detect months and years before many of the rest of us.
0: Well, thank you, Gerald. Well, you know, But, you know, the subject of defunding the police, which is the call in the streets, has been a real lightning rod this week. You know, locally, the D.C. Council passed some police reforms that are important to the legal community especially, but not to defund the police. And at the same time, D.C.'s Mayor Miro Bowser, who just drew national attention with the Black Lives Matter mural on 16th Street outside the White House, says she is not at all reconsidering police funding in her budget. And of course, you know, Black Lives Matter D.C. took note of this and they had already criticized the mural as performative street art that ignores cases of police killings right here in the nation's capital and ignores the ways that the mayor's budget has continued to prioritize the police. D.C. having, as I mentioned, more officers per capita than any other city in the country. And in addition, Bowser's handpicked successor, an incumbent in Ward 4 of the D.C. Council, where she first served as a member, you know, she first served as a member of the council from Ward 4. That incumbent was just defeated by more than 10 points. By Janice Lewis George, who ran on a platform of defunding the police. And then nationally, the House Judiciary Committee started considering the Black Congressional Caucus Backed Justice and Policing Act of 2020, and they had a hearing on Wednesday. The act steers clear of the demand to defund the police, but mentions establishing a national database of officers with records of abuse, brutality, and even killing people. These are obvious needed reforms, but the Republicans, for the most part, ignored what was in the bill and kept talking about and demonizing the idea of defunding the police. Even though that was a people's demand, it was not in the bill itself. And this bill, of course, Mitch McConnell and the Trump administration are already signaling their opposition and that that it won't go
2: anywhere. Well, in addition to national issues, let me reflect on some of the global issues which I think are quite important in this context. This new international situation presented by the aftermath of the tragedy in Minneapolis presents both enormous opportunity and, I'm afraid to say, a certain kind of danger. I mean, first of all, what I find remarkable about the global situation is the pushback from the African continent. I think it's fair to say that not since May 1963, when you had police dogs being sick on black children in the streets of Birmingham, Alabama, and the newly born organization, then known as the Organization of African Unity, then protested vehemently and forced President Kennedy to intervene. You haven't had such pushback from Africa into internal affairs in the United States since May 1963. Look at the statement from the African Union out of Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, for example. Look at the statement from the president of Ghana, for example. Look at the fact that at the U.S. Embassy in Pretoria, South Africa, a party represented in the South African Parliament, the Economic Freedom Fighters, had a militant demonstration look at the protests that have come from the African National Congress government out of Pretoria. Look at an editorial, or I should say an op-ed piece that appeared in the Wall Street Journal this week that not only backed wholeheartedly reparations for descendants of enslaved Africans in North America, but reminded one and all, that slavery was a crime against humanity, and therefore there's no statute of limitations with regard to slavery. Look at the statement that was drafted and appeared in this edition of this week's Financial Times of London by leading politicians and figures from five of our most important African countries, including Ethiopia, Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa, and Morocco, basically land-based the United States for its transgressions against black Americans, and look at the fact that the families of George Floyd and Michael Brown and Trayvon Martin and other martyrs of our struggle are now taking their cause and their complaint to the United Nations, where they expect to get support from many of the nations uh, who I've just mentioned. And I should also say that I've appeared twice on German television this past week And what I find remarkable about my being questioned and interrogated on German television was that the interrogator was pressing me to state that those defined as white in North America should bear a collective guilt and a collective responsibility for what has befallen people of African descent, not to mention Native Americans. Now, this is a turnabout. Because recall that after World War II ending in 1945, the United States pressed the West German government, and to an extent the East German government, on the same issue, that they should have collective responsibility and collective guilt for Hitler and for the Holocaust, etc., and then twisted Berlin, or I should say West Germany's arm, until it paid reparations to Israel, which did not even exist during the time that Hitler was in power. And so because of the deteriorating relations between uh, Berlin and Washington, it seems to me that Berlin now is turning to a certain degree against Washington, which opens up many opportunities for our movement. And I should also say that when I was interrogated on German television, the interrogator was drawing an equivalence between these Confederate monuments that pockmarked the landscape, particularly in Dixie, and saying that in Germany, obviously, monuments to fascism are not allowed. The interrogator also drew a, a parallel between HBO Max, at least temporarily, setting aside Gone with the Wind, that pro-slavery epic out of Hollywood, and reminding one and all that in Germany, those sorts of pro-fascist Racist movies are not allowed uh, to be shown, not to mention uh, Hitler's Mein Kampf, which is basically outlawed. So this presents enormous opportunity for our movement, but of course the danger is that this beast, this o- for the Oval Office, is probably most dangerous when he is cornered, which then brings us to the attempt just recently announced to impose sanctions on the International Criminal Court because of investigations that they would like to launch with regard to U.S. crimes in Afghanistan. Interestingly enough, if justice still reigns, we will probably see the Trump team in orange jumpsuits at the International Criminal Court in the Hague. But in any case, another danger is, is that despite all of these protests around the world and from the Atlantic to the Pacific, The Trump popularity rating remains in the 40s. Many Republicans are still reluctant to cross Mr. Trump because they think he has a stranglehold on the base. And that is one of the reasons why, when Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, talks about removing the names of Confederate military leaders from U.S. military bases, mostly in Dixie, that Trump has stood in the way, and that's going to involve a battle royal in order for that simple democratic demand to take flight. So I guess the good news is not only the domestic demonstrations, but also the international reaction, which is just as enthusiastic. Uh, But the bad news is that the Trump base is not crumbling. And the X factor is, what is our movement going to do next?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the U.N. because I remember us having so many conversations around the time of the killing of Michael Brown in Ferguson. And there was also a move at that time for parents to go to Geneva to address the United Nations. And, you know, I'm just thinking about how the Trump administration has even more so than past administrations created a distance, almost a thumbing of the nose toward the United Nations and, as you mentioned, the International Criminal Court. So, you know, it'd be very interesting to see, you know, what comes of that. I, I think it's important, you know, just like the call by William Patterson, you know, we charge genocide, but we're just living in a time when this government, rogue government on the international stage, doesn't really care what the United Nations does. And, I want to kind of go back to other types of legal you know, maneuvers back here in the United States. I want to play a clip from Attorney Vanita Gupta, President uh, and Chief Executive Officer of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, speaking at Wednesday's hearing, and then get your reaction after that.
1: Last week, the Leadership Conference and more than 400 civil rights organizations sent a letter to Congress to move us forward on a path of true accountability. The recommendations included the following. One, create a national necessary standard on the use of force. Two, prohibit racial profiling, including robust data collection. Three, ban the use of chokeholds and other restraint maneuvers. Four, end the militarization of policing. Five, prohibit the use of no-knock warrants, especially in drug cases. Six, strengthen federal accountability systems and increase the Justice Department's authority to prosecute officers that engage in misconduct. 7 create a national police misconduct registry and 8 unqualified immunity. The leadership conference was pleased to learn that the Justice and Policing Act introduced Monday by both members of the House of Representatives and the Senate reflects much of this accountability framework. This is Congress's most comprehensive effort in decades to substantially address police misconduct by taking on issues critical issues affecting black and brown communities. But let me just say in closing that policing reform alone is not going to solve the crisis that we're in today. This moment of reckoning requires leaders together with communities to envision a new paradigm of public safety that respects the human rights of all people. That means not just changing policing practices and culture, but ultimately shrinking the footprint of the criminal legal system in black and brown people's lives. And it means shifting our approach to public safety from exclusively focusing on criminalization And policing towards investments in economic opportunity, education, healthcare, and other public benefits.
0: Okay, so that was Attorney Vanita Gupta speaking to Congress on Wednesday. And I wanted to get your, uh, if you had any more thoughts on the legislation, kind of the inside outside phase of the movement, which some activists are warning is vulnerable to people trying to kind of co opt their energy both on the ground and in traditional power centers like legislatures and the media. And I wanted to know if you thought that the movement is more vulnerable because of what appears to be a decentralized type of leadership, if there are any history lessons there.
2: Well, certainly with regard to the latter point, which I've been speaking about quite a bit lately. But I understand why the movement is decentralized, because when you have centralized movements like the Black Panther Party in the 1960s, The state authorities come after them with a sledgehammer, jail, even assassinate the leaders, disrupt the organizations, and inevitably, as a creative adaptation, you have a Black Lives Matter movement, which is quite decentralized, but the problem there with decentralization is that the movement then becomes heavily dependent upon spontaneity, it becomes difficult to plan and project, it becomes very difficult to have... uh, authorized spokespersons, difficulties in raising funds, and all the rest. But I do agree with Benita Gupta when she suggests that police reform is not a thing in itself. We have to also talk and think about reforming society as a whole. That you know, can, we,
0: can we go to a brief break? I want to I hear the letter, but I just need to go to a brief break. This is On the Ground, on Pacifica Radio. Stay with us. This is On the Ground, thegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum, and I'm in conversation with Professor Gerald Horn about the tremendous moment that we're in, in terms of anti-racism and anti-policing activism. And Gerald, before the break, you were about to tell about an important letter that came out this week.
2: Yeah, it was spearheaded by the award-winning actor Viola Davis and another, a number of other luminaries from stage and screen. And they rebuked and reprimanded the theater for being uh, overly consistent with the precepts of white supremacy and basically shutting out many black playwrights and black actors and black themes. And what is striking about what's happening now, this is taking place in many other fields. You've had sciences uh, led by uh, Professor Shonda Prescott-Weinstein of the University of New Hampshire. Uh, who has pressed the scientific community—by the way, she's a cosmologist—with regard to white supremacy in the field of, field of the hard sciences. You've seen in the press uh, an editor from the Philadelphia Inquirer uh, being pressed because he obviously, or he apparently, authorized a headline that said something like, Buildings Matter Too, which is, was seen interpreted as a rebuke to the Black Lives Matter theme. And so, throughout various fields, you see these eruptions of protests. And we haven't even talked about sports and the recent effort by basketball star LeBron James to organize voting and to sponsor voting registration and other kinds of political activities. So, this is a rare moment. And the fact that it's being buoyed in some sense by what's happening internationally gives me hope and optimism. That it will continue.
0: Well, at the same time, you know, there is this right wing pushback, you know, that is not getting the same kind of coverage as, you know, looters, you know, teenagers stealing sneakers out of stores in Los Angeles. So I was really struck listening to this congressional hearing this week. Uh, one lawmaker, Representative Ken Buck of Colorado, blaming single parent homes and social programs supported in the past by Democrats for the fact that black people have confrontations with the police. And then Mark Morial, uh, the head of the, I think, the Urban League, you know, shot back. uh, I think I have a clip.
6: And and just I'll say respectfully, bad family situation didn't kill George Floyd. Sir, that's an outrage. I am tired of trying to change the issue when we have police brutality and police misconduct, to this rhetoric about bad family situations. It's an insult, and it needs to stop. It needs to stop. I sit, I take it, I listen, but not at this moment. Not at this time.
0: That was Mark Morial, president of the National Urban League, you know, former... New Orleans mayor. And it seems like that debate I heard is in the long time realm of the familiar culture wars, you know, where the right wing demonizes black people and poor people. And that's so in contrast to this new protest movement against racism, because it seems like they're already starting on a base beyond these old racist ideas and this old unflinching support for the police. It's almost like a support for lynching. I think it was Mark Morial who talked about one of the big Senate office buildings being named after Richard Russell of Georgia, who he said for years, if not decades, carried on the filibuster against an anti-lynching bill you know so anyway it's almost like they're supporting lynching you know and as an, as an extension you know white supremacy and the kind of militaristic attack that's usually only reserved for people in, outside the united states and this this whole war of defending the police is happening as more violent attacks on protesters by police are are occurring i think the documented count by one um media maker is over 400 documented accounts of the police attacking uh, protesters, peaceful protesters, journalists, and as more videos of black men being killed are surfacing. I wanted to relate the case of Derek Scott, who on May 19th was apprehended by Oklahoma City Police. And he, similar to Eric Garner, similar to George Floyd, said that he could not breathe after being restrained and, and pinned down by the police there. The police are heard on the video after he tells them that he can't breathe. One says, I don't care. And the other one says, you can breathe just fine. And he also died in police custody. And in your neck of the woods in Austin, Texas, there was the case of Javier Ambler, who a year ago, and his video is only being released a year later by a sheriff's department outside of Austin, Texas. And he apparently didn't dim his headlights. There's some type of pursuit by the police. He's stopped. He's tased up to four times. He tells them he has congestive heart failure and that he can't breathe. Yet he's continually tased. And then he becomes unresponsive. And then he dies in police custody. So these are two new, what are like snuff films that are, that are emerging in addition to All the video emerging of police attacking protesters who are protesting police brutality. And finally, these attacks are occurring, you know, while we're still in this pandemic and trillions have been given to the rich and corporations while close to 50 million are officially unemployed and experts expect evictions to soon start occurring and soar. So... What I'm asking as a roundabout way, connecting all these dots, you know, the violence, the continuing violence by police, the original call to to defund the police, all this money going to corporations, you know, is this movement ultimately against the consolidation of fascism in the United States?
2: Well, clearly it is, whether it realizes it or not, because to the extent that this movement attains victories, that represents a pushback against incipient fascism. And when you raise this question of lynching, uh, this has a depth that I think we need to comprehend. Because as we speak, you have the junior senator from Kentucky, Rand Paul, blockading a bill against lynching introduced by Senator Kamala Harris of California and Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey. Uh, this represents, I'm afraid, what we're up against And speaking of which, I don't think that we'll be able to exhale and have a sigh of relief until the popularity and approval ratings of the 45th US president dips below 40. Because remarkably, since January 2017, his ratings have been rather steady. Sometimes they're 40, 41. Sometimes they're in the high 40s. And given voter suppression, which, as noted, we just saw exhibited in Georgia, particularly in Atlanta, just this week. I'm afraid to say that there is no guarantee as of today we can evict the oath from the Oval Office, which obviously is priority number one.
0: Okay, well... I know that we could say a lot more and we we will certainly have more weeks to explore, but I wanted to give you just a little bit of time to talk about your new book because it does seem to fit into our conversation, the dawning of the apocalypse, the roots of slavery, white supremacy, settler colonialism and capitalism in the long 16th century.
2: Well, I'll be brief. I think it's fair to say that If you walk into a movie midway through, or even a quarter through, it's difficult sometimes to pick up the threads of the plot. And likewise, to try to understand this experience in North America without understanding the roots of the invasion of North America in the 1500s, in order to understand the plight of black people in particular, you have to understand what we were undergoing in North America, yes, in the 1500s, well before 1619, I'm afraid to say. And so that's what this book addresses, the roots of the present crisis. And just as when you go to a doctor, the doctor wants to get as thorough a medical history as possible in order to tell you what's wrong with you at that precise moment that that doctor is speaking to you, This is a deep dive into history so we can figure out what the history is so we can make a prescription for how to cure this ailing patient now known as the United States of America. Well,
0: we certainly look forward to exploring the book more with you in upcoming weeks. Just as we discuss the apocalypse of settler colonialism about the 1600s, I know I've been Looking forward to continuing with you on your time machine <laughs> and exploring the 1500s. I've been speaking with our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. Thanks again, as always, for joining me today, Gerald. Thank you. And that will do it for today's episode of On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. Special thanks to Chantel James, Lydia Curtis, Thomas O'Rourke, and Gerald Horn. And thanks to all the people checking out our new podcast, On the Ground with Esther Evarum. That's with just the letter W. On the Ground, W, Esther Evarum. And that's on all your podcast platforms, Android, Google, Stitcher, and just added, I think, on iHeartRadio. So, of course, you can also contact us, work with us, and support us and listen to all of our shows on our website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. If you like the show, let us know by liking us on Facebook or Twitter under On The Ground Show. And you can support us on Patreon.com forward slash On The Ground Show. The music we played this hour included Just by Run The Jewels featuring Killer Mike and LP, Inspiracion by Conrad Malouk, Free by Stevie Wonder. Our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. The protest sounds were from in front of the White House at Lafayette Square on June 6, 2020 and the rally was led by, I believe, BYP 100. I'm Esther Iveram. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace.